0: That's the microphone, okay. okay. Now, what they got? Go on and do your thing. My uncle, my uncle Miles. My uncle is, um, the last of my grandparents' four children. He's the baby, he was 18 or 19 years older than me. Um, <laughs> He was unfortunately born with a birth defect. And for most of his childhood, he spent his summers and springs traveling by car on road trips to different hospitals to see different specialists that thought um, that with just one more surgical procedure, um, they could put him in a better position um, with his illness. Unfortunately, that never happened. Um, and so he lived his entire life, um, with a pretty serious and impactful defect, um, that I think, um, left him feeling resentful, embarrassed, um, and debilitated from living the life that a, a young teenager or a young adult man would want to live. Um, he, because he was the baby, <laughs> he was treated as such. Um, I remember realizing that my grandmother was very into pictures. Um, she had pictures for every moment, everything. She always had someone either recording with the camcorder or taking pictures with a Polaroid camera. Um, and she had tons of photo albums. And I remember going through the photo albums as a little girl and realizing that while my mother and my two aunts um, <laughs> had pictures in different albums, it was my uncle who had almost a, like a shrine of photo albums and what we now know to be scrapbooks. Um, and everything was like in pristine condition and saved and kind of (laughs) bookmarked based on his development. And I remember that being one of the first signs of me understanding that like, oh, this is what happens when you're the baby. Up until I came along, um, he lived a life of of a spoiled brat. He was loved by his immediate family. He had three older sisters. Um, He had two parents in his household and his extended family um, welcomed him with open arms. And of course, uh, if we're being honest, I'm sure a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was the youngest, but also um, severely ill for most of his childhood, recovering from different um, experimental surgeries and such. Um, And so, by the time he is, you know, uh, facing puberty and entering into his teenage years, um, my grandparents who up until that point has sent all of their children to public school decided they were going to send my uncle, um, to Catholic school, which they did. And, um, he ends up, um, graduating high school from St. Joe, uh, which is now Villa Angela, St. Joe. Um, and he has this kind of life where he has several kind of white male classmates and they all refer to him as Miles, um, from the way I remember it. And, um, he kind of leads these different worlds. Um, he's from Tarkington, he's from the Southeast side, he's turning 18, um, in 1989 uh, <laughs> and he has his friends from the neighborhood but then he has his friends from St. Joe but he makes a decision um, as a high school senior to go to Central State University and so as the story goes um, this is all secondhand information my grandparents send him to Central State um, he stays for a semester My grandfather and my grandmother go down, I'm assuming, at the end of the fall semester to check on him and pick him up for the holidays. They say there were beer cans in his dorm room stacked to the ceiling. And he makes it known at that point that he doesn't intend to come back to Central. Um, He's kind of done with college. Um, He wants to come home Um, From what I hear That was a very long ride back home From Xenia to Cleveland Um, It was a lot of uh, Moving and shaking going on in the van From what I hear um, Because understandably my grandparents Were um, disappointed My uncle had you know, kind of capitalized on his position and status in the family. And uh, unbeknownst to my grandfather was having my grandmother wire him money every Friday. Um, And so they were very upset when they found that some of that money was being used to build his beer tower in his dorm room, Um, which is wild to me because my uncle was very bright. Um, and because he benefited from his private education, his Catholic education, it only furthered his, um, studies and he, the fact that he didn't feel, um, interested at that point in his life in college is always an interesting tidbit, um, because he was definitely a lifelong learner. Um, but that does not always translate into rigorous study and disciplined classes that, you know earning a college degree requires so he comes home um and at this point he uh is an uncle (laughs) his older sister my mother has me and my mother is the only one of the four who will go on to have children and that's important because my uncle and my aunts because of this look at me as their child as well and My uncle doesn't find his footing. He's heavily influenced by um, some of the characters around him. He comes back home from school. He doesn't find gainful employment. He may find some. He has these fit and stops with um, entering jobs and leaving them very quickly after. And he still has this disability, which follows him throughout his, his entire life and eventually it's revealed that he is struggling with addiction and what i what i what i didn't know then that i definitely know now um is just how much uh substances alter your not only your behavior but they alter your reality. They alter um, your sense of self and your your grasp on reality. Um, I come from a family that is not a stranger to a substance use and or addiction, including alcohol. I come from a family that I would say uh, both on my grandmother's side and my grandfather's side has experienced addiction in such a way that it's been um, debilitating for members of our family. And so it's always interesting for me, given how I react to that knowledge, I go the opposite way. I kind of run for the heels. So it's always interesting for me. Knowing that my mother and her siblings knew all these things, how it still didn't prevent some of the decisions they made. Um, But what I will say is, knowing what I know now, my uncle's illness, the one that he was born with, and then the, the one that he developed via substances, the link between the two makes so much more sense as adult Leah. If I were walking around with a debilitating illness that no one had a cure for and I had scars all over my body from different physicians and surgeons who were trying to experiment with different fixes that they pitched to my parents, I think as a college dropout home trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, substances would turn from social to addiction very quickly for me as well and for many of us. Um, especially in an age where they were being treated as kind of party candy, from my understanding. And no one knew the true ramifications until a generation later. Um, And so I often wonder if my uncle had been born maybe five years later or 10 years later, would his story be the same because he would know more about the substances that he was offered than he did at his time. Um, My uncle was uh, about six feet. My grandfather is over six feet. My uncle was a little bit shorter than him. Um, Many women um, (laughs) in my childhood told me that my uncle was fine. So (laughs) I'll just give y'all that tidbit. (laughs) He uh, usually kept a low Caesar cut. He was very energetic. Um, You, when he was in the room, you knew he was there. Um, He was strong. Um, He was agile, like his father. He was an athlete, Um, like his sisters. uh, He was an athlete, and. When I say athlete, his his my aunt, his older sister went on on an athletic scholarship to college, and so he had a lot um, of catching up to do when it came to 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 his older sisters. Um, and he rose to the occasion. He played basketball. He ran track. Everyone in my family is kind of forced to play baseball or softball for a period of time, and so he did that as well. So he was he was fit. He was cut. He was a young man in the early 90s, in his 20s, trying to find his way. He was definitely highly influenced by hip hop culture. In In our family home, there's a front window in the living room that looks out to the street in the driveway. And my uncle was usually kind of the babysitter because he was home, sometimes unemployed. And I was there, you know, don't got nothing to do as a little girl. Um, And so while everyone else was at work, me and him were at home. And if my grandmother had to go out and make a run or run an errand, um, that would be the time where we would use the speaker in the living room to play what he called our music. Now... It's interesting to me because it was definitely his music. But because I was his little sidekick, it quickly became what he he tried to get me, you know, get some skin in the game. So he started calling it our music. Um, And so he would wait. My grandmother always drove Nissan's. Um, So at this period, she had this burgundy um, Nissan Maxima and we uh, would wait for her to, you know, reverse out of the driveway and get down the street and he would have me the little one on the couch, waiting out the window. And he would say, okay, tell me when my hits the stop sign, the stop sign at the end of the street. I would tell him and he would turn up the music (laughs) and it, you know, what was in her tape deck was like Mississippi mass choir child. And, um, I don't know. It was, if it's holiday time, it's the temptations, you know, my, my grandmother being born in the forties and You know, coming of age in the 50s and 60s, she's into Motown. She's into uh, soul and gospel. And so he would kind of take her tape out, throw it to the side, and put his in. And one of the first songs I remember him teaching me um, (laughs) was N.W.A. (laughs) While I'm rapping lyrics to Eazy-E and sitting on my grandmother's ivory sofa, um, jumping up and down, mimicking my uncle with the finger pointing and the head bobbing, and you know we' shaking and we doing it in the living room, I can recall those memories vividly because it was that first set of bonding memories that I had with him, and they were over rap music, and maybe he manifested it, but it definitely stuck. um, and it definitely became our music, and it was definitely something that we shared up until he died as I got older I would go to concerts and things and I got into the habit of calling him on speakerphone and letting him hear different performances over the phone um, that I knew he would appreciate before it was so easy to take a video and he would be on the speakerphone through like my blackberry or my next tail or whatever screaming like oh my god etc cetera, etc cetera. And one of my biggest regrets to this day is just not buying him a ticket and taking him with me. I wish we had been able to attend a rap concert together. One of I think my biggest regrets was not approaching my uncle with empathy. At the time, I looked at his issues with substances as his fault. I looked at them as his choice. I looked at them, and I looked at it as just a dumb choice that he kept making over and over that ruined the good times for everyone. That is how I thought. I thought that way for most of my childhood. And the reason I think is because one, it was how we were speaking in community. Like when you went to school, uh, we had different phrases for folks who had substance use disorder. When we went to church, you know, we were praying for people who were quote unquote on drugs and in the street. On TV, there were jokes and movies and characters that are iconic now, I guess, that were centering those who were addicted to substances. um, And none of it, none of it had an empathetic approach, not any of it. Um, And now when you look at like the opioid crisis, at least here in Ohio, um, that tone is totally different than how we approach, you know, cocaine and crack cocaine and other substances. And I feel so much regret, but I know that I can only grow as fast as the society around me grows in some instances. And that's one, um, you, you don't do better until you know better. And I had to learn and grow and educate myself to know better. But my uncle's story is one that I keep in my mind because I now challenge myself and make it a personal requirement to speak with um, integrity and respect, even if someone has a, a substance abuse problem because of him. And many of us have these folks in our families who are isolated, who are shunned, who under the influence are making decisions like stealing things and you know doing crooked things doing violent things that make us fearful of their presence in the family or in the home and so it's a very complicated conversation because you want to have empathy but you also have to protect yourself and that is the situation that my grandparents found themselves in with my uncle and so as I grew so did my uncle's drug problem it is one of the defining moments for our family because my uncle was young he was strong as hell and when he abused substances he became very dangerous and he became very angry and it took me years to stop having nightmares not about the boogeyman not about you know, screen one, two, and three in the movies and all these other things that were out at that time. But I, up until college, all through college, actually, was having nightmares about my uncle, my uncle, my dance partner, my rapping, my rap group partner, my fake rap group partner, my mommy's baby brother, my uncle. Because while under the influence, he became a terror. He would break windows. He would punch holes in walls. He would, you know, threaten violence against his mother, his father, me, his sisters, uncles, neighbors, friends, lifelong friends. And then the next day, while, you know, coming down from that influence, he wouldn't remember it. He wouldn't understand, you know, what damage he had done uh, physically or even emotionally and as these episodes intensified, and as they became more common, I was living in a reality where I was watching my grandparents try to understand what to do with their baby. My grandmother called my uncle her baby, uh, even by the time I came around. And again, he was 18 when I when I was <laughs> entered the picture. Um, and I remember my grandmother believed in journaling. I don't know if this was something she started on her own or if it was suggested to her based on the things she was experiencing, but I remember reading her journals, which I know is a major no, major uh, violation, but she had passed, and I was nosy, and I wanted to know what was going on inside her head, and much of her journal were notes and recollections about how she felt about her baby, her son. I thought that it was powerful because I have stories about my grandmother fighting my uncle and winning child. My grandmother was not to be played with. <laughs> she was at that time in her late fifties going up against a twenty one twenty two year old uh bull um and she would win um I have stories of her of him coming to the house uh after being in altercations out in the street with people. And I'll give you guys uh, an example. This is going to be a little graphic. Um, my uncle was out in the streets, um, got into it with some folks. I don't know the full scope of what happened. All I know is that they bit his ear off. Um, and You can tell the error. If you know, you know. Um, or cut his ear off. But there was a tip of his ear was missing. My grandmother had just recently, not just, but in recent years, she had redesigned the living room and she had purchased ivory furniture. And it was like this damask kind of layer over it. And uh, my grandmother didn't believe in plastic on the sofa. So, um, you know, it was like I remember it being the talk amongst her and her girlfriends <laughs> that she had put this light furniture in there and it was very nice and she had the whole house recarpeted to purple carpet because her favorite color was purple and it wasn't tacky. It was very nice looking just in case you're trying to picture it in your head. So anywho, my uncle comes to the back door, he's banging on the door, mom, ma, come to the door. My grandmother had worked at South Point Hospital for years Years, I'm talking like 15 20 years, and she was a surgical assistant, um, so she knew her way around uh, a med, a medical kid, anyways. Um, and he comes to the back porch, she opens the door, she tells him she's not in the mood for any of his shenanigans. Um, if he's been out drinking and doing other things, don't come in. Um, and he, I remember hearing him, uh, his voice was not, you know, strong man voice, it was whimper, mommy, help me voice. And he's trying to explain to her that he has his ear in his hand, part of his ear in his hand, and um, he's bleeding. And she looks, and I'm kind of like peeking around the corner. She looks at me. She looks back at him. And she says, you're not coming in my house and messing up my furniture. (laughs) And I remember him saying, what? You're not going to let me in? I need you to fix my ear. And she tells me to call the ambulance to come get him. I remember her going into the kitchen closet, pulling out a bag, a Ziploc bag, putting the earpiece or the body part inside the Ziploc bag, gave him a towel, told him to apply pressure to his ear and to wait for them to take him to the hospital. He did go to the hospital. They were able to sew it back on. Um, Unless you knew that happened, you would have never known anything was wrong with his ear. Um, (laughs) but that is just a glimpse into how much though she cared about them, all of her children, she also did not play. There are dozens of stories that include my uncle doing things that even to this day, some stuff, we don't even know how he got into the situations he was in, but substances will have you in places and around people that otherwise you would never be.
1: Wait, mm-hmm. what
0: happened to me? I thought uh, this was my home. This is your movie, man. <laughs> mm. This is your moment man, in the song, man. man.